It's cornerback time. We are two weeks away from draft day, and we got a special guest lined up for you guys tonight. Boys, let's roll. I suppose it would help if I took this screen down now, wouldn't it? Or maybe this is the better look that we have. Ladies, hey. gentlemen, boys, and girls, there we are. Welcome to the Gold Zone here live in the game on Wisconsin Studios. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am your host. I'm home sweet home after a long week. And sorry, it's only it's only Wednesday, and I'm saying it's been a long week. So that's a good start. I am joined tonight, as always, by my podcast partner in crime, Jacob Morley. Jacob, how are we doing? I'm doing good. We're Bart. What are we? Bart Star days away from the NFL draft. We're doing all right. Bart Star days away from the NFL draft, and that is a beautiful feeling. Tomorrow will be Don Hudson days away from the NFL draft. And to answer this question, I don't see a handsome Hawaiian man in this particular video screen. But (laughs) the flying Hawaiian Mike Kawano has joined us tonight. Not our special guest, but somebody that wanted to tag along for the ride and talk about the Packers' defensive backs situation. Going into the draft, we will, and are planning on having Eric Crocker tonight of Lockdown NFL Draft. And once he is here, we will get rolling. Um, but we're waiting on him, and once we do that, we'll get going. But Mike Kawano is here. You can follow him on Twitter, at Kawano Mike. Mike, how are we doing? Not bad. Nice to see you guys again. <laughs> I wish I could say the same, but that's okay. Um, yeah, we'll kind of get I rolling. I think that a lot. <laughs> I, I understandably so. Um <laughs> We'll kind of get rolling here a little bit tonight, guys. Packers, we're talking defensive backs. A little bit of news. We did have uh, assistant coach availability yesterday as we were going through some stuff here. Um, To stick with the defensive back theme, the safeties coach uh, talked about Darnell Savage and said that Savage is somebody who has a a world of talent, a lot of tools, you know, all the famous coach speak phrases to say they think he's really good and said he could be somebody that could play the slot for them this upcoming season. We've talked about that a lot, but what does it mean, Jake, hearing it from him as far as your confidence level in him and just everything that they could do with him here coming up in 2022? Uh, About time kind of is how I feel. Like when they drafted him, I thought that's what they were going to do with him, honestly. And then, and then they played him kind of in that, you know, that deep quarter type safety. So it's been interesting to see what they've done. And I would love to see him in that role. I know the people are split. People are split on it. There are people that think he absolutely should not be doing that. Um, I'm not one of them. I think, uh, I would love to see him in that role. So, uh, I'd be cool with it, man. It, more, more interesting thing though, when we were talking about corners tonight, did they talk to the corners back coach? Did he, did he mention that he wants another guy in the room? Did he say he uh, wants the offensive, a, line, the offensive line coach did. I know he did. I know I'm just trying to make a joke because we were talking about this pre-show too. Like what if, what if they went ahead and just like, hey, we'll take, we're taking down your Elam. I was hey, we 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 our board, and those are guy who can do like that slot stuff because I don't think they have a guy like that. Um, that's like natural. I know even Shamar John Charles isn't really natural who in that is, kind of position. Who's the who's the Twitter darling that everybody that everybody liked that played receiver and switched a corner? Kenyon Ento. Is he still sticking around? 
That's a really good question. I'm not sure if he's on the roster, but I can promise that it's not going to matter if he is or not. Probably not. And if it does matter, then not good. No, <laughs> something went bad. something went wrong. Something went horribly wrong. Yeah, they like, did sign yeah. him to a futures contract. Yeah, oh, he's nice. still on the roster for now. I'll tell you what: if so, he ever learns, if he ever learns how to be even a below average tackler, I think he can actually. I think he actually will have a decent NFL career. Not by decent, I mean I think he'll be on a roster for several more years. But man, getting guys to the ground is a issue with him big time issue. yeah and, and and that's a problem because when you start talking about these back end so the, they brought in Keyshawn nixon to play special teams for rich Passaccia. yeah and shamar john charles his primary contribution next season is going to be on special teams for rich Passaccia. if you can't tackle it's it, it's kind of like the the scene from happy gilmore when chubbs asked him if you can't beat the clown how are you gonna be shooter mcgavin well if you can't tackle how are you going to play special teams or defense? Like that's, that's a really hard thing. And he's not like, like if he was Jair Alexander, good in coverage and just struggled with tackling, then big whoop, you deal with it, but he's not that either. So it's a tough, it's a tough ask on a lot of different things. So um, Mike, just real quick, your thoughts on Savage and, and the coach's comments on, on moving him potentially or playing him all over the place. Uh, my first question for that is just who's safety three. Uh, I don't really know if that player's on the roster right now as much as I banged the drum for Vernon Scott, but he couldn't get playing time over Henry Black, who was burnt rubber last year. So um, thinking safety three is going to have to come in the draft. Um, but I mean, if they do, that gives them a lot more flexibility. That's why I do think that they could be after a guy like our boy Dax Hill or Jaquan Brisker or... Um, Jalen Peter, Peter? I don't know how to pronounce his last Pete name. Pete 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 yeah. Uh, like a land before time. But um Land Before but, um, Time. <laughs> that was a but, great, um, great reference. But um, yeah, I, I do think that that's a route they'll probably go earlier than a lot of people are expecting. And I know like we've seen it circulated on um a lot of people's uh Twitter feeds recently and stuff, but safety is one of those where it's like it's a super sneak not super, but it's a sneaky need for the team because the two guys that are under contract past this season are the aforementioned Vernon Scott and Sean Davis. So they've got, they've got to answer some questions at that position. I think Savage is part of it. Um, we're going to find out as soon as the end of July, because that's the uh, fifth year um, option deadline for first round picks. Um, uh, what's his good, the new coach, he sounded really confident in him. I do think that, um, you know, there is a learning curve to Barry's defense and stuff. And, I'm not as concerned with Savage because I think you saw him do a lot of thinking in while he was trying to play and stuff like that. So I'm just expecting him to bounce back, but they do need to have contingencies in place regardless. And a guy I think we'll talk about this week and next week because we're talking about corners this week and we're talking about safeties next week. And a guy that legit can play both is Dax Hill, the the Michigan kid that Jacob is very familiar with. And honestly, Packers Twitter is pretty familiar with him too. And he checks every single box that you would want for safety corner age, you know, big time, big time university athletic profile. Like he is a guy that he's a five star recruit. Yep. And so you could go at the end, you know, it seems like every year at the end of the draft or at the end of the first round, aside from the Jordan love stuff, you kind of look back on it and say, yeah, that made sense. Like that made a lot of sense. It maybe wasn't someone that we always, 
you know, put up on the pedestal and said like, Hey, this is going to be the guy. This is the guy I want. This is the guy Packers Twitter wants. But then when the dust settles, you look at the guy and you go just like, well, why didn't we talk more about that guy? Like that guy made too much sense. And Dax is 100% a guy like that. And also he's really damn good at playing football too. Like he, he's a guy that could come on and play on this. He can play, there are teams I think he can play outside corner if, if you let him give him the opportunity. I mean, he can't, think, by the way, like just throwing that. Okay. Hand. Well, Jacob says he can't, but you, <laughs> he can, do you think he can play in the slot and play, be that nickel third safety? Uh, yeah, I think he can. You know, I think a guy, and they've had, they've taken players like him in the past, like go back to Demarius Randall, where he was a safety in college. They moved him to corner. You know, that experiment didn't really work out, I think, the way they would have wanted it to. But uh, Demarius Randall wasn't. I mean, they, their evaluation on him was right. I think a lot of people, I'm kind of going down a weird road, but remember with Demarius Randall when he was with the Packers, they're like, well, he's a safety. Why are they not going to play him at safety? He was much better at corner than he ever was at safety with any other team he played for. But uh, Dax, Dax. His rookie got, season, he was a stud, like a legitimate stud. Was, I was like very, we talk- very excited about him. Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of discourse about him. Just to go on the Daxton Hill thing too, and for everybody, just the idea of this, you know, quote unquote, sneaky need is – Henry Black played 37% of the snaps last year in the playoffs. And he played over 30% of the snaps in, in a decent part of the games. Like he was a pretty good part of their, of their game plan. He played 282 snaps in total last season. Now that pales into that pales in comparison to Adrian Amos 1102 and Darnell Savage's 1072 snaps. Vernon Scott, Mike Kawano, how many snaps do you think Vernon Scott took last season? It was more than zero. It was eight. <laughs> so oh, I'm going to say eight. Oh, man. Eight. Yeah, he had three sooner. in week four, and he had five in week 16. So there's your Vernon Scott snaps for last year. And they gave him Leroy Butler's number. That's just tragic on so many. Give it to Lewisine. Take Rip it. Pry it off his shoulders and give it to take Lewisine. Give him 36 and don't look back. That's my plan. So that's, the point that I'm getting at here is that safety that is a need for this team because of both the present and the future is the Packers need one of those guys. That doesn't mean it has to be a first round pick. You know, it doesn't have to be Dax in the Hill, Jaquan Brisker, all these dudes. And this is stuff we're going to talk about next week. I just did want to say a slot type of player, whether that's a safety or another corner is something that they do need. You know, and, you know what, Jacob, the, there is one guy at corner that kind of is in the first round type range that if they took him, I mean, I think he's a slot guy, but I think he kind of has that first round top 40 type buzz. And that's Trent McDuffie out of Washington. And you watch him play. And a lot of people, when you when you do watch him play, a lot of people would compare him to Jair. Just with the way the attitude, uh, how feisty he is as kind of a smaller type corner. So I would say the chance of them taking a corner in the first round is probably, what, less than 1%. But if they do, and it's a guy like that, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the scene from Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is on the bridge saying, "You shall not pass." That's essentially what the Packers would be saying to the entire NFL. Like, pick who are you throwing at? Who are you gonna throw at? Like last year, it was find 41, find Henry Black. That's find 51, Chris Barnes. Those are the two guys that you could pick on. I mean, they get a legit slot corner in there with these guys, which they probably already have with Jair, right? Like, where are you going? Where are you throwing the ball? 
Well, and if they add another guy, they're going to play a shit ton of dime. Like that's yeah. the other reality is they're going to play a lot. Of, I think, you know, we talked a lot about the way that Barry likes to use his defense and everything like that. But I think if there's anything I've learned from Matt LaFleur's time as, as the head coach is they're going to do what they think gets their best players on the field. So everybody bitched about Petten playing too much dime, but then on the other side of their mouth, they would talk about how the Packers defensive line stinks and their linebackers. Yeah. Okay. So we want fewer of them on the field is kind of the point going on that side of things. Uh, so I, I do wonder, you know, if the Packers did that, would they play more dime? I do think so. Um, there's a lot to talk about on that for that sort of thing. So as it stands right now, I, there's been some discussion, concern, discourse, whatever you want to call it, about Jair Alexander and not his long-term future because I know, and I know I said this about Devontae Adams, but whatever, I'm doubling down. I don't give a shit. I just have to amend my take a little bit. The next time the Packers lose a player on his second contract, <laughs> that's the part that I have to amend, that they wanted and don't get him will be the first. So I'm not worried about Alexander's long-term future. However, there is discussion about you know, where he's going to play. And I know that there was a question a little while ago and somebody asked him what he played the slot. He said, no, nah, I like the Island, but now it like makes the most sense for him to play the slot because Rasul Douglas doesn't really have a skill set that fits that Eric Stokes has never done it. I don't think that would be his strongest suit either. It does fit Alexander the most. What I will tell you is that's a really good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Like, the problem is we have too many guys that are good and we don't know what to do with them. That's a really, really good problem for this Packers team to have going into the future. And especially in a NFL where listen, teams are loading up on fantasy football players. You got If you're going to play Tampa Bay in the playoffs, you got to cover Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Russell Gage. And then you got to even just start talking about these tight ends. You need cover dudes. You know, the pass rush certainly helps because with Tom Brady, it doesn't matter how many cover guys you do. If you can't rush him, then he's going to pick you apart. But you got to be able to cover those guys too. And that's why I think that this, you know, you said less than 1% morally, kind of the last question I was going to ask, but I would put it at 10%. In the first round? Yes. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Just I think a slot slot defender or something like that. Then you have the, like, just think about it this way too. The Packers have shown several times, they do not care what you think their biggest need is. They are going to pick who they think the best players. Everybody in the world thought they were picking a receiver two years ago, and they traded up for Jordan Love. Last year, the quarterback gave them the middle finger on national television. And they said, all right, fine, we're still taking Eric Stokes. Everybody thought, oh, they got to take a receiver. Now they're definitely they're going to move up into the top ten and take whoever the best receiver was last year. I'm blanking off the top of my head. They're definitely doing that now. Nope. They took Eric Stokes, and they were right. That's the other part, is they were right. Because there's no, there's no rookie receiver, save for Jamar Chase, last year that would have made as big of an impact on this team as Eric Stokes did. So, And they were never getting Jamar Chase. So let's, let's move that out of the way right now. They were never, that was the guy, Jamar Chase. But I'll put it at 10% because I do think it is possible. And here's the other thing. Gutekunst might be trying to build his team differently than what we're you know, used to. Maybe. You know, teams, he talked about it in a press conference once. And one of the lines that he had that's kind of stuck with me a little bit is he always said, you know, I think we've become a little bit more of a rugged football team the last couple of years and talking about building up that defense. I think that his plan is to try and have the defense be the strength of the team. And it may very well be. Now, 
That being said, they still need to add to their offense. Don't get it twisted when I'm saying things like that. But I will not be, especially with two first-round picks, I've talked about this theory before on my end, is I think when teams have two first-round picks, sometimes they view one as like a luxury. So like the example I use is last year, Jacksonville has Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick, and then they have another pick later in the first round. And they took Travis Etienne because their thought was like, well, this isn't a pick we would normally have, so it's kind of a bonus, and we'll just take him. Would we do this? And with a nor- If this was our only first-round pick, would we do this? No, but we really like him, so we're going to take him. Could Green Bay do that with a corner? Maybe. Maybe. I certainly well, think they could. That's why Dax makes so much sense because you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Like you're you're you're, you're adding that you're adding that element of hey you know what if Amos walks if we need to get if if he walks next year if we don't want to re up Savage we have this guy that we think can be our starting safety a high end starting safety in two years but also right now we're getting someone that we think can be a high end slot defender for us for us this year so. That's why that one makes so much sense to me, especially when you talk about like the safeties. Like I love Lewisine, but he's more of like your traditional deep safety or box safety. Like he can do a lot of things, but one thing I wouldn't really want him to be in a full-time role doing is just covering slot receivers. But here, let me, okay. So let me throw this one in here. Darnell Savage moves down. Yeah. Then that's where, that's kind of your telegraph point. I remember, you know, it was, Way back when I was interning with Packer Report, flex on them. It was the Packers took Haha Clinton Dix, and the question I had for Ted Thompson at the time, who was GM, was, "Did you try and consider finding like complementary skill sets with Morgan Burnett, who was the other safety at the time?" And he answered in his Ted way, but basically said, "Yeah, that's what we did." And I think Gutekunst, being a predecessor, is going to do something like that if they think he can do that. Then yes, uh, Labo hired, um, I got paid in elegant moose breakfast and, uh, chewing tobacco. I think Bill bought me a tin when I was, when I was interning there, this was 10 years ago. It's been a while cause I'm old. So there's that, but it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. It was rewarding. I want to thank Bill any chance I get for something like that, but just throwing that in there is Lewis scene could be like a telegraph from that side of things of, okay, their plan is their dime package is going to have. Douglas and Stokes on the outside with Ja and Savage in the middle of defense. And you mentioned some movie where I don't remember that scene. The only scenes from Lord of the Rings I can remember are like scenes of people walking. Cause that's all it is. is three movies of people fucking walking. So uh, it's just a really bad take. It's you've never really seen, ter- you've, you've never seen a, clerks too. That's just a really terrible take. You've never seen take clerks. So I have seen it. Take. That's a terrible take from clerks too. It's not a terrible. Take you've never either. been. You've never been to Helms Deep. No, I haven't because I don't even know what that is, and neither have mm-hmm. they because all they did was walk. So, anyways, Mike, you've been sitting there <laughs> laughing at us the entire time. Is that something that you think is a possibility of them trying to, like, the cornerback room? And this does kind of tie in, right? Like, the cornerback room being reshaped a little bit by the safety room. Yeah. No, and that's where that's where I think Morley's kind of right with putting true cornerback super low in a, as a percentage because there's you're you'd be kind of they do i officially hope they do we were talking about dudes last night i was talking with owen like who's somebody they could take that could burn twitter to the ground daniel falele pick him 28 and just watch the world burn yeah Go ahead. but yeah like i i think that they will take a db like on day one i, I just do it's just probably more going to be a safety and yeah like you said 
it could be Dax or anyone like uh, like Petre who can play slot, um, or it can be a guy like Brisker or Scene who plays deep kind of thing and lets them you know be more multiple with what they do with Savage and Amos because of you know it's kind of like you you know we always hear like you don't want to give a rookie too many things to learn how to do kind of thing and stuff like that so it's like oh are you gonna get so that kind of you know helps them bring someone along where it's like you get a safety and it's like okay we're getting the guy who plays deep or we're getting the guy who plays in the slot and maybe it's a guy like Dax who can do both pretty well but you kind of say like okay you're gonna do this this year and we'll expand on your role next year kind of thing so that's where I think that safety is more likely because um there's just more that you can do with that kind of a high-end player that you would be getting that high um and especially like you guys said you know going to more nickel going to more dime i do think that if um barry had the personnel for it he would have done something like the raven green at linebacker kind of thing and stuff i i I do think that's a you know that's why like you know as much as we joke about it if for whatever reason you know a lot of other gms decide that cal hamilton hamilton can't play football pretty sure goot would pick him at 22 kind of thing and you know just say like jacob like Joe would just, he would just be like, Joe, go do something with him. And, you know, so it's one of those where it's like, I kind of expect them to take a DB of some sort in the first round. And like you said, I don't think it's a luxury pick. I think it's almost a necessity because while I agree that Jair, you know, people have kind of hedged it both ways where he's said, like, not only does he prefer to be on the Island, but he likes to play out there because the matchups kind of dictate that it's more valuable for him to be on the perimeter. He's sort of in the past said, like if the matchup dictated, he would go in the slot and like, but he's kind of said like, it is more valuable for the defense for him to play on the perimeter. That said, he hasn't played with two corners and that, (laughs) you know, where else is more valuable for Jair, (laughs) his pocketbook to play on the outside. That's true. And, but yeah. And then like, and, just going back to your point, literally the last guy they haven't signed to a second contract, I'm pretty sure is Javon Walker, and he had his own reasons for wanting to get out of Dodge and stuff like that. But other than that, this front offense has a front office hasn't missed on a second second contract for a young player that they've wanted. Um, it's been, but like you said, the main thing is that if Goot's gonna be willing to offer it, just offer the damn deal. Don't don't play around and you know don't mess around with him. Just do it, get it done because it'll probably stand as the highest contract for a corner for about a month and then someone else is going to sign something so that's kind of just the cost of news business yeah can i can i tell can i tell a lord of the ring story real quick this is lambo label is going to like this he just said he uh would you like the nickname mordor more morley no not really but i will say when i was in college we used to call it going going to helms deep and so it's in like i don't know the second episode and so like we would drink and we would see if we could still be awake by the time they got to the battle uh, at Hel- Helm's battle. And we would call it going Helm's Deep. Labo, you're invited. Next time we go Helm's Deep, you're invited. But, boys, this isn't the safety episode. We're not talking about safeties. It's not, but it does. It, it We're talking about looks- corners. And you know what? I want to, I want to, uh, I want to plug the guide here real quick because I have it pulled up in front of me. And we've got couple things, couple points to make here. One, the Packers have brought in a couple corners, um, and they, mind you, have checked all three boxes for the Packers people, top 300, all those thresholds. Um, for a corner, what they typically have done is you better have a seven-second or better uh, or less uh, three-cone, four-six-forty or better, 
and they need to be 5'10 and 7'8s. 5'11 is what a lot of people say, but That's Jair the is that. Buckley rule. Yep. And uh, so looking through this, you know, looking, I'm looking right in front of me out of all of our top 300 corners that we have data on. One guy uh, that really stands out to me as kind of that slot type guy that checks every threshold is uh, Cam Taylor Britt, the uh, the corner on Nebraska. I think it's Nebraska, right? He's played for Scott Frost. He sucks. He doesn't suck. My analysis. He does not suck. He did play he for Scott Frost. He did, does we, not. Scott Frost does, though. We have him ranked as our 140th player. So you're talking about, you know, three, four, five, kind of that middle round type guy that he's young, he's got a high RAS, and he hits all those thresholds. Um, so that is a guy that I would keep an eye on for the Packers just because if they're going to go, if they do want to add a corner and they maybe they miss out on some of those top guys, those safeties that they think can come in and, and play right away that they like, and they want to just add a slot defender um, to compete with, you know, Gene Charles, I think another three-name guy, Cam Taylor-Britt, could be a, a really good candidate for that. Um, guys that they've brought in, uh, Greg, Gregory Jr., Hits all three thresholds, RAS, age, uh, hit, hit checks all those boxes. And then uh, Josh Thompson, uh, the corner from Texas, which who he actually reached out to me in my DMs and, I, and said, hey, I met with the Packers today, which was wild to me. I was like, uh, cool. Can I tweet that? Um, but he but he checks all the boxes as well. He's 23, so he's a little bit older, but I don't think they care on day three. Um, so you're looking at guys that fit that athletic that athletic mold, that threshold, but also guys that are probably maybe going to be Bisaccia type guys, guys that are going to be able to come in and play special teams if they miss out on some of those guys that they like in the, in the top part of the draft. And, and, you know, honestly, I hope so. I hope, I hope Rich Rick Bisaccia is in that room and I hope they just give him like there is, there is a, a rule in Kansas city that it's a, it's a, it's a Taub guy. Dave, Dave Taub, Taub is their, he's yeah. their special teams coordinator every year. Um, and I don't think it's made up. He, he legit just gets to pick a guy. So like, Hey, we kept eight receivers, but we really, we kept seven because the eighth receiver is a Taub guy. He's just a special teams guy that Dave did not want to let go. And I honestly hope they do that in green Bay. I hope they give Basaccia that type of uh, reign to basically say, this guy needs to be on the team. This guy is going to help us win games. This guy's going to block on punts and not let us lose in the playoffs because we couldn't pick up a pretty standard punt block. So I hope he has that type of influence in the draft room. And I hope we, we talk about Goody learning from his mistakes. And I, I think he has in the past. And I think he's done a good job of kind of righting those wrongs. Like, I mean, we saw it in the last 12 calendar months. I think Goody did not handle the Rogers love situation well. And you look at where they're at now, it seems like Goody is not not the type of GM that's going to just sit and say, well, this is how we do it. We're always going to do it this way. And that's just how it is. And I think that's good. Right. I mean, I think you guys know anybody, anybody that follows the NFL knows that these guys get very stuck in their ways at times. And they very much can not really be like welcoming to like other opinions, other people's ideas. Um, oh, we were talking and, about that before the show, right? Like as far as learning from mistakes and stuff like that. So clearly they learned from the Rogers situation mm -hmm. and will probably do things differently. If, if Rogers is around long enough for them to draft another quarterback, I'm sure that will be communicated ahead of time. Another one is the example that I gave pre-show and that was with Jair Alexander. You know, they were willing to 
acknowledge the outlier contract eventually to keep Devontae Adams. But by the time they had done that, he was pissed off and past the point of no return. So if you're willing ultimately to give that contract, I think something, you know, with Alexander specifically, because people are saying the Xavier Howard contract, well, that's an outlier. It's not real. The agent's going to tell you that it is, you know, this is a, it's a discussion. Like, I mean, this is a different sport, but you know, I'm watching um, baseball at the beginning of the season. And uh, by the way, Mike, the Yankees beat the Red Sox two out of three, just throwing that one in there. But um, the Aaron judge contract judge doesn't get an extension. The Yankees then say like our number was this. Now every team knows that around the league. And if they want him, they're going to know that's the starting point of what they have to offer more of. And it wasn't like $400 million. So it's not something like, Oh my God, no team's going to offer that. Now that's the last chance you have of getting him at that number. And it's the same for Jair Alexander. That's why Mike said, it's always better to do business like earlier than later, if you're going to do it, which is why it kind of flies in the face of deadline spur action. But Alexander, I'm telling you, man, if he's on the open market, somebody will acknowledge that Xavier Howard contract and the Packers. It sucks that it's working out this way. Cause everybody, here's my thing. I, I, me personally, this is just me. I don't really give a shit about business and contracts and all this other bullshit that everybody thinks they're an expert on because one, you're not. And number two is the reality of the situation. Do you want the player or not? So if you want Jair Alexander, then you have to acknowledge that contract and you can say, Oh, it's bad business. Who fucking cares? Like <laughs> we don't watch, they don't hang banners at Lambeau field for saying healthiest salary cap or best business, better bureau team. They don't hang banners for that shit. They hang them for titles. That's why, that's why we watch these games. So one of my least favorite, and I said this a while ago, I wish contracts were private, like just information that we didn't have because I think it would be so much more enjoyable as a fan to just watch and be like, okay, cool. We got Jair Alexander instead of like first thought coming. It's like, Oh man, how does that help the salary cap? Who cares? It would help the salary cap though, Jacob. It, well, that's like, it, it would. Yes, you're right. But what I'm saying is like, that shouldn't be your first thought. Your first no. thought should be like, it's the same. Like Aaron Jones signs a contract. And I remember an Aaron Nagler rant on it. He was like, like somebody asked him, how does this help the cap? He's like, your team just signed Aaron Jones. Why do you care? Yeah. Why do you care? Aaron Jones is really good. Did you care when he, at the end of the San Francisco game, where he had that explosive play that they should have gotten points off of, but they didn't? No, you didn't care. How dare, you know, people like, oh man, how is this team? This team is so much worse with Aaron Jones on it. Yeah. Okay. It's the same feeling like any sport, you know, a team signs a guy to a contract and it's like, oh my God, we have this John Carlos Stanton signs this contract with the, with the Marlins. It's like, oh man, that's a ridiculous contract. What you think the Marlins fans were happy to have John Carlos Stanton for the time that they had him. That's not what I said. Labo. He wasn't anti-Packers player. He was pro player. Somebody asked him that just for clarification purposes there. Um, since there's enough stupidity that seems to follow all that, but that's a separate topic for a different day. Mike, I do want to go to, and I know we've basically not talked DBs at all, but, well, we have, but, you know, like I said, it, it kind of all works together on this side of things, you know, with the safety and the corner position kind of working hand in hand that way. But just looking through the draft, you know, who are some guys that you that you do like? Who are some guys that you have looked at? You know, what do you think, you know, maybe even in that day two to day three-ish range? Because they are going to take one. I am pretty confident in saying they are going to take one. Because yeah. Whether it's a special teams guy or not, like a Basaccia guy, to use the Morleyism there. Yeah, in all honesty, um, I haven't 
gotten a chance to look too much at cornerbacks this year just because um more been looking at safeties um for a lot of the reasons we were talking about earlier um you know a lot of the guys that i've thrown out there already they're gonna it's gonna kind of depend on who you like and who you don't like because even even someone like dax who we the three of us obviously like there's gonna be people that are saying like well he's too small to play safety kind of thing and stuff like i, I know that's gonna come up because he's like 190 something or whatever kind of thing and i know people are going to use that as a as a um as a detraction from his play and all that kind of stuff so um but yeah it's one of those where it's um you know you're just kind of looking for traits in terms of what um this defense does with their safeties you're either looking for you know obviously you'd like to find a guy who can play up high at the post and down in the box but like i said before um I'm just looking for them to address one one or two ways, whether it's someone who can play more nickel in the box or if someone who can be trusted to play um, play the post, um, especially because they do play a lot of um, single high and two high. So someone who can just be trusted to um, maintain depth responsibility and also rally up to the ball and make tackles. So <laughs> um, I don't really have names in it um, because I've been... Um, Doing a lot more uh, line of scrimmage guys and stuff like that. Um, just what because real football I players playing. <laughs> um, but you know that's that's kind of the you know come draft day that'll be the first thing that I ask. You know, past past the first round because the first round guys we've listed. You know, we listed the the four main guys that everyone will be like, okay, it's not a receiver, but we need that guy because he's really really good at football. Um, basically, anyone in day two or later that's the thing that I'm going to approach it as is like, okay, what box does he fit into and how many boxes can he check off as a player for this year? And like I and said, speaking of checking off boxes, Mike, I don't mean to cut you off, nah, but our guest has arrived. He checks off box of former NFL player, <laughs> podcast host, and really freaking late, but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> my apologies, man. We we're dealing with like a tornado or something that's passing through over here. So it's like the, Wi-Fi has been kind of in and out. Sorry about hopefully that. You're in a base, hopefully you're in a basement right now or something. I'm, I'm not. Hopefully a tornado just doesn't come and we'll be all right. <laughs> and you're in you're in Cali, right, Croc? No, I live in Arkansas. That's Arkansas. Way different. Oh, wow. Okay, that is way, way different. different. I don't know why I thought you were out in California. I'm from Cali. I'm from California. So. That's why. Okay. 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 So, yeah, we had that. We had the reason Kiwano's here is because that tornado was supposed to pop through the Midwest here where I live. So I was like, I'm kind of thinking the same sort of thing. But let's jump right in. We only have you for a little bit of time. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Crocker. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. And you can find him on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. And you do, are you Locked On Niners as well? There's something 49ers yeah. that you do also. Yeah, Locked so On locked 49ers, on 40, Locked On NFL Draft. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit of everything. The Locked On Network has Eric Crocker's face all over it, which is a good thing. Eric, I do have one quick question that I want to jump in. We're not going to talk about the playoff game that happened in January because as far as I'm concerned, it never actually happened. But how worried are you, scale of 1 to 10, about Debo Samuel wiping his Instagram? It's it's not nothing. And, and I'll say this about you know the 49ers and the front office, and I think a lot of fans are – trying to play a little damage, you know, control and, oh, there's nothing going on. You guys don't have anything to worry about. But just a couple of years ago, the 49ers traded away a guy by the name of DeForest Buckner. And Buckner, when you when you draft someone top 10, 
and you kind of make a list of what you want that guy to be. It's like, man, I want him to be like elite at his position. I want him to be an amazing leader. I want him to be great on the field, off the field, you know, no off field troubles. Doesn't give you an issue. Like the Forrest Buckner exemplified all of those things like to the maximum. And he was shipped off. So if he can be traded to me, everyone has a number and uh, Debo Samuel, clearly whatever number they've thrown at him, as it pertains to, you know, the contract and negotiations, he's not happy with that right now. Well, I will say as a 49ers fan, like the 49ers essentially own Aaron Rodgers already. Like, why don't you just give us Debo? Like, I feel like we, <laughs> we are owed, we are owed something. And that's something I know we said we weren't going to talk about the playoff game, but man. Yeah, but you've kicked our ass for 10 years. So as I, a, I said it. Fun. I think I said it before the game. I was like, cause it's like, ah, Packers got this one. They're going to win. Like, they match up all these ways. I just don't see how they're going to lose. And someone, I don't know, someone's like, well, what if they do lose? Like, well, then San Francisco just owns Aaron Rodgers. And, like, that's just it. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of been the case. Like, what is Aaron Rodgers' playoff record against the Niners? Like, the team that he wanted to scorn, you know, go scorched earth against for not drafting him. And that story yeah. always comes up. Like, oh, not as much as you're going to regret not taking me. Well, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's tough. They've been to more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers since yeah. Rodgers was drafted, which is wild to me. I, I think it's tough because you look at you know the games and they're 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 all different, right? Each loss is is different, and the loss is for a different reason. I'd say more times than not, it's not really Aaron Rodgers oh, that's the God, issue. No, no God, ideally God. you would like to score more points than whatever they did in the previous playoff game, but you know the weather conditions weren't ideal for either team and it kind of came down to the Packers special teams kind of nope. losing the game for them nope. more so than Aaron Rodgers. Now I know people will point to the last drive and you have, you know, Alan Lazard open over the middle and you threw the ball to Devontae Adams anyways and double coverage. But to me, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I don't remember any of that uh, special teams. <laughs> I do. I, I was there, know. so I, don't I don't remember all about. of it. And, and I do blame the quarterback. The whole thing about the weather, I dismissed that completely because that's allegedly what you wanted. So, But that's right. not why we're here. But, that's Brock, not why we're Brock, here. I do, I do have a question. This is a cornerback-related question. It seems like with cornerbacks, we get into we get into thresholds. Like This is becoming more and more like a mainstream thing. Uh, that you kind of see. And even I think the common fan is starting to look at the position, different positions and kind of say, Hey, this is what guys have had that have made them successful NFL players. And I think the one with corner that's really kind of emerged, you know, to the common fan, I suppose this off season has been arm length and arm length being such a big deal for a corner in the NFL. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like why, why do teams care so much about if you have, you know, 31 to 32 inch arms as opposed to like, like a Roger McCreary who has got what, 29, 28 and a half. Like, and that is a major yeah. concern for teams. And, and, it, and that's great that you brought up Roger McCreary because I mean, if you just put on the film, he's probably one of my favorite corners in this class. I think he does everything that you want. He can play outside, he can play inside. He can line up anywhere. He is challenging receivers uh, vertically. You know, when you put him in a slot, it, you can run slot fades. He's right there in that hip pocket and in position to make players on the ball. But, oh, man, he has like 28-inch arms. So, oh, you can't touch him. And I, I don't get it, but I will say it's not nothing, and I have to figure mm -hmm. out exactly 
why that is, right? I, I believe it was uh, Marcus Mosher who put together some kind of list that shows guys with like sub 30 inch arm length, as opposed to guys that have the longer arms and the guys that have longer arms are just more successful. And I don't know why I, I in my opinion, especially playing uh, the cornerback position, I think a lot of people would tell you, Oh, you know, it's, you can press better with longer arms and, and maybe it helps. But when you watch Roger McCreary, it doesn't jump off to you like, Oh man, he can't press because of his arms. Like, eh, no, nah, he's pressing pretty damn well. So mm-hmm. I, I like you, I'm trying to figure it out as well. Now, I was a guy that had longer arms, right? A 6'2 corner, 200 pounds. I had the size. I had the length. But I don't know if it helped me any more so than the next corner that maybe has, you know, this much shorter arms. Like, what what exactly is the difference? So the, the analytics will tell you there is something to that. I just haven't figured it out yet. So there's that. That's, that's an interesting one because, yeah, like Jake said, it's kind of becoming – more and more mainstream. And it was something that was mocked. I mean, not that long ago of like, Hey, this dude's got short arms. He's really good at football, but he's got short arms. And then you start kind of seeing like more and more data of like a guy who had like those things do tend to matter. The more data that we get and everything like that. The question I have for you that I want to start with is on the actual Packers roster currently. So they're their cornerback room right now, Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, and Rasul Douglas. And the question that's on everybody's mind between now and September when they play their first game is going to be, when they play nickel, who's going to play in the slot? And the best fit for that, at least by my amateur eye, says Jair Alexander. And that seems to be common sense on that. But are you kind of robbing him of some of that value that he has of being an outside island corner that way? I don't know. I, I tend to believe that they're going to kind of play around with things and do like based on the matchups and do things that way. But I'm not 100% sure how they're going to do that. What You're the DB coach now. Congratulations. You just got hired by the Green Bay Packers. You're the DB coach. What are you telling Joe Barry, this is how we're going to do things? Oh, man, I'm still in the Patriots uh, formula. And I am doing more matchup stuff. You know, Patriots, I don't know. Maybe they have someone who is like, oh, ideally we like this guy in the slot. But whether it's their corners, whether it's their nickel guy, whether it's their safeties, they do a ton of matchup stuff, some of it based on size and ability. And I think that's the way to go. Look at a guy like, and I saw, you know, in the chat, Tariq Woolen, right? And you, you see a guy like him, super long, six foot four, 205 pounds, runs in the four twos. But I don't want him guarding a smaller, shiftier receiver. Now, based on his length, it might be more difficult for him to play in the slot because he has just too long of movements. For a guy that might have to be better with his change of direction. But if we're just doing matchups and, well, he matches up well against the bigger, taller receivers and those guys can't run away from him, he's able to put hands on those guys and run with them wherever they go, then it's not going to matter whether I play them outside or in the slot. And so I think from that standpoint, you could just do more matchup stuff with those guys. Now, you'll have a guy that maybe you have more designated to play in the nickel you know, regardless, and, and I think that could be anyone if they just truly understand, you know, just the angles and where their eyes are and reading their keys, things like that. But if you're going to go man coverage, then that's when it changes big time. And based on the matchup, you can have any of those guys do it as long as it's a good matchup for them. And maybe something you can explain to me, because something I, me personally, and granted, I coached high school football and I play Madden and I watch the game on TV. So what the hell do I know? But just watch it. When you got a guy like Jair Alexander, to me, that is like the ultimate weapon. 
that you can have yeah. because he can play them big boys and he can play them shiftier guys in the slot. So me personally, you're talking about the Patriots theory. Like when they had Revis and they came to Green Bay a few years ago, sometimes Revis was on Jordy. Sometimes Revis was on Randall Cobb and it worked out that way for them. They did a lot of different things that they could do that way. For me with Alexander, I'm looking in the NFC. If Green Bay is playing San Francisco, 23 is following nine. Well, if 19 is still on the team, 23 is following 19. If they're playing the Rams, he's following Cooper Cup. And if they're playing the the Bucks, then then he covers Mike Evans on the outside, and they just kind of do different things, you know, that sort of way. Why do you think at least? Because like it was talked about a lot with like Richard Sherman. Why don't teams do more of that as opposed, you know, you have this great corner that way that can play that way. Why don't they move their guys with the other team's best player more often? You know, I think a lot of it just depends on the scheme. And you, you, it's good that you brought up Richard Sherman. You kind of go to 2019 and you look at the 49ers and they, they didn't follow guys. I think at one point they did a little bit of field boundary uh, with their corners, but that's not something you see a whole lot of at the NFL level. 49ers definitely mixed that in. I think there were a couple of snaps in the NFC Championship game where Richard Sherman went where Devontae Adams went. But, I mean, that that happened like two or three times. They were just going to run their defense. And we saw that early on with Seattle when they were running that Seattle cover three where they can line their guys up on the outside, play press, and know, all right, you have vertical to outside pushing routes. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to travel or anything like that. Everyone's going to just do their job. And if you're going to play defense like that, as long as everybody just knows their job to a T, which those Seahawks teams did in 2019, 49ers did, then, yeah, you just, you're just you not asking a whole lot. And, and some of it just depends on, again, the scheme that you want to run. If you are a more man-heavy team, then you are going to need a guy that can shadow guys more. And that is kind of the Jair Alexander. And we've seen him do some of the things. I remember a few years ago watching him against uh, Brandon Cooks uh, when Brandon Cooks was on the Rams. And the job that, you know, he did in that game, I was like, man, this dude's bad mother effort, you know? Uh, that's something that's hard, especially guarding someone with that kind of vertical speed, no matter where he lines up. So I, I think, yeah, if you have a Jair Alexander, play more man, because he gives you the ability to do that. And, and then also, you know, with Stokes and, and how him coming along, I think he's going to have some matchups that maybe favor him a little bit more, and you can do more of that. And then obviously, like I said, Russell Douglas as well. Okay, so moving through on everything else like that. Uh, my, Jake, is there anything else you want to get to here? Um, just kind of moving on anything on that draft-wise, anything else before? I know we don't have a ton of time, so we appreciate Eric Crocker. That's Eric Crocker here, Jake Morley, and Mike Kawano here in the bottom corner. But, Jake, anything you want to get to here? Just real quick, I know I, we've talked about all the top corners in this draft. T tell me about a day three guy, a guy that we should keep our eyes on, someone that you might think surprise, will surprise people. Okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to think because you know everybody kind of throws out the same names like first that's, that man. That's the thing. Like There's not really Marcus sleepers Jones. anymore. Yeah, you yeah. like Mar Marcus Jones? You think at his five eight self? You think he can play in the slot or what? Yeah, I think he's gonna profile more as a slot. You know, when you are a guy that's that vertically challenged with your height, you know, it makes it a little bit you know more more difficult to be a high. What a PC pick, guy, you know, vertically challenged, uh, uh, short arms, things like that, but. I mean, sticky coverage, sticky change of direction, like elite ball skills when attacking the ball in the air. You know, I think anybody that drives him second round, they're going to be lucky to have him. And he is a guy, if you do want to do more matchup and, and, and things like that, obviously, you know, ideally you do have him more in the nickel, but he can play on the outside. And I think he could do well there. So I think the versatility of him, you know, it kind of helps him a lot. 
a, a guy though that I really like, and this is gonna be another vertically challenged guy, right? Another guy that's not as tall. My guy, um, uh, Fayon Hicks, out of uh, uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. There we go. Yeah, I always get ne Nebraska and Wisconsin confused. Red and white. And it was cool. Like you know, I talked about him. I kind of talked about him a little bit the other night on the podcast. And then his defensive coordinator, Jim Leonard, you know, he DM me. I was like, man, like you're you're spot on with what you're saying about. Hicks, and you know, I don't know why he's not being talked about enough, but he, he deserves to be because he's a terrific football player. He's, he's not the biggest guy in, in height, right? He's, so he's around five foot nine, but he's 195 pounds, so he has a nice stout body. And on film, I got played big at the catch point. You know, I was watching him against Miko Collins, Nico Collins a couple years ago, uh, playing against Michigan and and like just challenging him at the goal line when they're trying to box the smaller guy out. And him being able to play through the hands of the receiver, and he could play press, and he could play off, and he has quick feet, twitch, change of direction. And then you watch him, you know, work out at his pro day, and we're talking about a guy who, you know, thirty nine and a half inch vert, four three uh, eight uh, forty yard dash time, uh, elite, elite, elite three cone. It was like six point six seven, like one of the probably fastest in this entire uh, draft class. Uh, you know his. Uh, shuttle was amazing. It was sub four seconds. It was like uh, 3.94. I mean, it was just off of the charts. And I think that's a guy who's probably not being talked about enough in the sense of maybe the upside that he has. And still, again, a guy that if need be, I, hey, the play outside, again, ideally maybe not where you want to have him. But that that's a guy when you talk about day three, I would love to have him in that range. Now, if you're the Packers, Eric, this is the last question we'll ask before we let you kind of get going because I know you got locked on tonight as well. But you have Rasul, you have Eric Stokes, you have Jair Alexander, then you have Keyshawn Nixon and Shamar John Charles. How likely is it that you're going into draft weekend saying we're drafting a corner? And would you do that as early as day one? Or is that something you're like, hey, we can wait a little bit? I, I would wait a little bit. And I would take a guy, you know, day three. You know, it's not like a, a pressing need or anything like that. And I think, you know, when you have the guys that you just mentioned and also with Gene Charles, that, that's the kid from Coastal Carolina, right? Yep. You know, you, you want to see him develop. He was just a rookie last year. So yep. what steps does he take, you know, heading in the right direction? Does he start to grasp things? But you at the very least know we got, we got our three guys that we really like and any of those guys could start on the outside. And a lot of teams wish they had three guys. And we saw how – with so Douglas coming off of a practice squad somewhere, how well he played for Green Bay. But having three guys that you're comfortable starting, and you know, Jair Alexander, he's kind of missed some time here and there, right? With the injuries. But all right, if one of these guys go down, we're confident it's there still. And then do we get some development from the guys that are behind them? So I, I don't go in with any like making cornerback a priority or anything like that. But I don't think you can have enough coverage guys. So at the very least, I would take a guy third round. Or, excuse me, not third round, day three. I said that was the last question. I lied. You're Brian Gutekunst. You have two picks in the first round, Mr. Lockdown NFL Draft. Who are you coming away with on day one? Well, I'm definitely – and, again, you don't want to force positions. If there's a guy that I just have higher on my board, then, you know, I, I want to take that guy. That that can really help me, uh, especially if there's a pass rusher, you know, not having – you know, you guys lost one of the Smith brothers, and maybe you want to add a little bit more speed off the edge. I, I'd say I pick 22 – you might not have that. There could be like a guy like, you know, George Karloftis or something like that. And yeah, I'm not as high on him. Maybe when you have two picks that allow you to take a guy like David Ajabo, who, okay, he had an injury, but if it weren't for the injury, would he be 
they're available at pick 22. And at some point this year, he will be there. So I, you know, if he's there at 22, like I would take like David Ajabo and let him kind of rehab and then help us, you know, in the late playoff push. And then with the other pick, I, I would ideally want to go a receiver. Again, you don't want to force it. And I think you can get a receiver in the second round that's good as well. But when you look at this class and a guy that can definitely come in and play right away, uh, there will be guys available there. So, you know, I think it, from there, it, I don't think it's, oh, I want to replace, I want to replace Devontae Adams, right? Because that's, you're just setting yourself up for failure. 49ers did that a couple years ago where it's like, oh, we traded DeForest Buckner, but oh, don't worry, we drafted Javon Kinlaw. And it's like, that dude is not DeForest Buckner, <laughs> right? Like, you don't want to do that. Uh, but, you know, taking the receiver and maybe not putting the pressure on him like that he has to be that great. But, all right, eventually he can be a guy and we'll see how much patience Aaron Rodgers has for a rookie receiver. I think that's the yeah. other aspect to it where, you know, do you want to take a guy high and put that kind of pressure on him? But uh, in, in that range, I am looking at a guy like, you know, a Christian Watson or a, uh, you know, a George Pickens or, you know, who knows who else might follow up. Maybe like a, an Olave, if the rest of the NFL isn't quite as high on him as some of draft Twitter. And he's a guy that's, you know, eventually there later in that first round. But there will be guys there. There will be guys. It's just, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers makes it kind of, I, I just, the way he comes off yeah. is like, I, I don't have time for this. I don't have, like, I have two or three years left. And I don't want to spend that time nurturing this young rookie receiver. Yeah, absolutely. One quick correction. You said Coastal Carolina, and I nodded. It's John Charles Appalachian State. Okay. Um, yeah. So same, I, I knew it was one of those, like, uh, was like, you know, like FCS or something like that. And then, all right. So, yeah, I sure. knew it was something like that. Small school kid. He's Eric Crocker. You can find him. He'll actually be here next week with us as well, talking safeties. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Find him locked on 49ers if you're into that. Locked on NFL Draft. You can catch that every single day wherever you find podcasts. From Jacob Morley, Mike Kawano, and myself, we're out. We'll see you guys next week. 